Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Loudwire Podcast. I'm Graham. I'm Joe. And today we have the Apeezy, Apeece, A-P-P-I-C-E, brothers. Apeece. Apeece. Whatever you want to call Apeece, it. Apeece, Apeece. Vinny and Carmine. Vinny and Carmine. Here. So this is the first time that these two brothers have collaborated together in the studio for an album. They've worked before doing drum clinics. They had a DVD out. And they got a bunch of their friends to play on the record. And I love seeing all these elder rock guys getting together, just jamming with their friends, having some fun. It seems like there's no preconceived notions about what the album has to be. We're not worried about album sales, things like that anymore. So it's just get in the studio, write some stuff that makes you feel good, just have fun. Yeah, so you'll hear all about that new record, Sinister. And you'll hear a lot of stories. This one is all about stories. Stories about Carmine with Vanilla Fudge jamming with people like Jimi Hendrix. Getting on stage during a Zeppelin concert, switching roles on drum and bass. Yeah, almost getting into a fight with Black Sabbath over weed. I mean, just legend after legend, crazy stories. I mean, Carmine wrote a book about this stuff, but again... We could have sat here all day just to hear his stories because my eyes were just popping out of my skull. Stories about Hendrix, Sabbath, Zeppelin, just all the greats. You know he has a story about everybody. So it's amazing for a guy to be his age, I believe he's 70 now, still making music with his brother, of all people. I mean, two legendary musicians. We're super happy to have him here on the podcast today. All right, everyone. So here it is. Carmine and Vinny, get ready to sit down. And shout! Everyone, welcome to another episode of the Loudwire Podcast. We have two very awesome guests today. Brothers in rock, brothers in metal. We've got Carmine Apice and Vinny Apice. You know Carmine from Vanilla Fudge, Cactus, Blue Murder... A ton of stuff. You know Vinny from Black Sabbath, Dio, later Heaven and Hell, Kill Devil Hill. You guys are two very, and very you gave busy him men. One more than me. What was that? You gave him one more than me. Ah, we'll take that one away. <laughs> <laughs> and you're here to talk about a new project that you have just called APPICE. Yeah, so, well, however you want to say it, a piece or apathy, as long as you spell the name right and you know what it is. Yes, and the album much. is called Sinister. That one's going to be out October 27th. Yep. So you guys have toured doing some drum clinics and stuff before, but this is really for your true first collaborative effort in the studio. You know, when I started playing, Vinny wasn't even born yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? 11 yeah, 11 years. Yeah, so, yep. you know, that, and then, you know, I left the drum set at home. I was already gone out of the house. And I left the drum set. The, the drum set I recorded, you keep me hanging on, on, I left at the house because I had got an endorsement and I got a big drum set. So then he started playing like at eight or nine years old. When I went home and I, I saw him playing, I said, wow, you know, my mother said, he's driving me crazy like you did, you know. And, and, uh, she thought it was all over so then, moved so out. Then, yeah, so we realized he had talent. So he, uh, we, we sent him to the same drum teacher I had when he was young. Oh, so by the time he was 12 years old, he was really good, you know, and that's where it started. So I, we were never really in the same house together, you know. So what age did you move out? 
Say again? What age did you move out from home? What? what? How old were you when you when moved, you moved out, out from home? Oh, when I moved out. I was 19. So he was like nine. Yeah, so it was right when you were starting to get interested. Yeah. Now, what got, was it Carmine who got you interested in playing drums, Vinny? Well, yeah, before he even moved out, he used to rehearse with the local bands in the house. And I was like, you know, seven, eight years old. And there's a live band in the, in the, we called it the porch room. Mm -hmm. So that was my entertainment as a kid. I go sit there and watch the live band, you know. So it was totally in inspiring and influential to go, man, this is amazing. And uh, and then I watched Carmine play. So I, I want to do that. You know, I want to play drums too. <laughs> so that got the fire going. Mm -hmm. And then it was like in the songs. That and then that my yeah, brother on TV. I wanted. That's what I wanted to do. He used to come to the shows. Mm -hmm. and watch my parents were very very supportive. They went to yeah. all our shows. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they took me and my sister and to see the all Vanilla gigs, Fudge. And yeah. so I used to go at a very young age to the Fillmore East out here in New York and see fudge play you know three thousand people and go, wow look at this this is amazing you know yeah. so uh, that was really <clears throat> got me going like i want to do this too yeah especially it's different i think seeing somebody else play in front of three thousand just a band that you like versus your brother yeah. yeah then he did his drum solo i used to get all nervous like oh my god doing a drum <laughs> solo what if something happens did, did something bad ever happen during a drum solo Oh, yeah, yeah, the bass solo. Many, many times. <laughs> <laughs> the bass solo. The bass solo. Uh, yeah, many times. I mean, uh, in the old days, the drums weren't built. You know, we held, we helped build the drums strong. Mm -hmm. You know, like I'd be doing, I'd bend this thing with the cymbal, and all of a sudden the, the, the screw would break off. <laughs> I mean, have the cymbal in my hand in front of 10,000 people. You know, <laughs> like, oh, now what do I do? I just threw it away on the stage. But, yeah, now the drums are built to... Yeah, I remember ferociousness as we developed. when he started, they didn't even have monitors and stuff. Yeah, mm -hmm. well, yeah, it wasn't even they monitors. Didn't, they didn't have a proper PA. They had monitors were sometimes amplifiers. Yeah. Guitar I amps. took I took a dual Showman bass amp on the road with a little Shaw mixer, and when we toured with the Vanilla Fudge and Jimi Hendrix, and they had voice at the theaters with the PA, and the guy didn't even have the board at the in the middle out the front he had the board on the side of the stage so he'd run out to the front <laughs> listen to it and then come back and turn the dial so i had these two amps and, and mitch mitchell would come up to me when, when we started the tour he goes do you mind if i use your drum amps i said no you could use my drum amps so i let him use them as well and you know this is a big voice at the theater cabinet and then these these two showman cabinets with two four fifteens like two on each side and if there's some pictures that had uh, our keyboard player, Mark Stein, used the Showman also. So there's some pictures with Hendrix with two Showman tops. One said Carmine and one said Mark. And you see Hendrix standing there on stage, and it says Carmine and Mark, and those are our amps. Now, what was it like watching Hendrix back then? Because obviously you didn't know that he's the legend. Everybody refer, like regards him as now. Did you right. see that in him when you were watching him, or was he just kind of like, this guy's a, this guy's a really well, good player? But I knew Hendrix before he made it. You know, okay. he was, uh, he used to play in the city here, you know, all the time. He was Jimmy James and the Blue Flames. And mm. uh, <laughs> we played gigs with him, you know, opposite him. And, you know, he was doing the same thing. He was always great, you know. And then, uh, you know, when I started making it with Vanilla Fudge, and, you know, one time we, uh, we went up to a, at the time, in 77th Street and Broadway was a dump. 
it was Panic and Needle Park, if you've ever seen that movie. And uh, we used to go to these black prostitute apartments after the gig and smoke some, some weed and talk about making it, you know, mm -hmm. me and Jimi Hendrix and my friend Dean Parrish. And then next time I saw him was in London. I was in Vanilla Fudge and he was Jimi Hendrix. And I reminded him of the shows we did together. He goes, yeah, I remember. He goes, what are you doing here? I said, I'm in Vanilla Fudge. And he said, oh, I love the fudge. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So we were friends. You know, from back then all the way up. So he was always tremendous. He always playing was with his teeth. He always did that stuff. You know. You know, Mitch Mitchell kind of gets overshadowed by Hendrix a little bit. I Mitch. think because yeah, Mitch oh, Mitchell yeah. because he was such a phenomenal drummer, one of the Mitch most was energetic. Awesome. Mitch was like uh, probably of the drummers that were there was Ginger Baker, me, Dino Dinelli, Mitch Mitchell. You know, Mitch was one of my favorites. You know, all those drummers, Mitch, him, uh, Carmine, John Bonham, uh, even Billy Cobham, were all uh, drummers that didn't play it safe. No, not they at all. played within the song that became part of the song. All the licks and stuff. Really, the first there. guys that brought drums to that full tilt. Yeah, that yeah. the drums could break and explode at any time. Yeah. It's a, it's and it was sort part of, of the song. It built the song up. Oh, they didn't God. just play a, a yeah, feel whole, behind the song. My whole dream growing up was to be a famous drummer like Gene Krupa or Buddy Rich. Mm -hmm. You know, they were my idols, you know. I never got to meet Gene Krupa, but Buddy Rich became a friend of mine, you know, but you know, I was always wanted to be the Gene Krupa of rock kind of thing, you know, and bring the drums attention to the drums. My whole career that's all I you know, did, attention to the drums. Whether it was me or drum clinics or, you know, the, the, the drum offs, all that stuff, you know, just bring attention to the drums. So um, Mitch was great. Mitch was awesome. I love Mitch so much. I, awesome. I saw Mitch around. after Hendrix died. I saw Mitch in Electric Lady with no click or anything, overdubbed all his drums, right, to a, a few songs and then doubled them exactly what he played the time before. I couldn't believe it. I said, wow, this guy is amazing. So his internal clock was just right on there. It was right on. No wow. click or nothing. Yeah. He was playing to the song. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very hard to play without a click when you're in earphones, you know? Mm -hmm. Now, would you say those jazz drummers kind of inspired you? Because a lot of people forget that rock used to be very improvisational. Like you listen to those Deep Purple live albums and things yeah. like that. They're stretching songs out to 20 <laughs> minutes. Yeah. 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 So do you, is that where a lot of the jazz influence came from for you? Yeah, I think it's just rock at the time. In the 70s, rock was evolving, evolving, evolving to the point of where everybody was free-forming, like with the cream. Mm -hmm. I think that probably the cream were the first ones to open that door a little bit, you know, and then, like, we jumped in on it with Vanilla Fudge. I mean, on a fourth album, uh, the, break, the Break Song, was all impro improvising through each instrument, and each instrument had a solo. It took up one side of the album, you know, up near the beginning album. It was like 24 mm -hmm. minutes long. And that all that era was soloing and the musicianship. And it wasn't about how great the song was. It was like, let's do the verse, chorus, verse, chorus, and get to the solos. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. like when I play with Jeff Beck, Beck, Bogan, a piece, it was like, let's get to the solos, you know? Even like when you played with Derringer at the point. You know, you guys imp improvise a lot, you know. And it was like, that was it for the 70s, you yeah. know. You know, it, it evolved to that point where everybody was really proficient on their instruments where they can 
improvise, you know? Sure. I was actually talking to Mike Portnoy about this not too long ago, Mm -hmm. uh, talking about legendary drummers, but uh, we were both, we were both in agreement that the, we both associated that kind of golden age of hard rock with that deep sense of improvisation that the bands would just go on stage and just rip it for 10 minutes. Uh, Like, Mm -hmm. like my favorite, uh, my favorite rendition of Killing Floor by Hendrix is the one from, I think, Winterland, where they just went off for like 16 minutes or something. Like, who is this? Hendrix. Oh, Hendrix. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, the song Killing Floor. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, just that, again, that golden age of rock was just so balls well, you out. Know, yeah, it's hard to do improv. now. It was so... It is. Now the record comes, they go, where's the chorus? Yeah, yeah. We need a, we need a chorus. And, and live, like with Cactus, you know, we used to play a song and then... All of a sudden, our singer would would go into a whole different thing, you know. All of a sudden, there'd be like a little down, like we take it down. All of a sudden, the singer would start singing something in a whole different tempo, and then we just join in, you know. And then we join in, we take it somewhere else, and then like five, eight minutes later, we come back to the song, you know. And Zeppelin used to do that. I mean, all the great. That's why all these these Led Zeppelin tribute things are not really Led Zeppelin because Led Zeppelin never chemistry. played their songs like that mm-hmm. yeah they I, never i mean how many yeah. more times it was always like 15 minutes long yeah i have <laughs> a know? friend who has uh, like bootlegs of each stop at a tour for zeppelin and he could actually hear jimmy page form a solo that wound up on the next record night after night after night yeah. playing a solo yeah. he'd keep certain parts and keep messing with it yeah. by the end of the tour he had his solo completed and then it wound up on the yeah. next album so i think that's an experience that Really, no Zeppelin fan. Well, when you record, has. when you record a record, yeah, you write the material, you rehearse it, and then you go record it. But you haven't really played it a lot. Yeah. So when you go on the road, that song becomes stronger and stronger. Better. It evolves, and it evolves into some a little bit different than what you recorded. Yeah. Definitely, because you played it every night, mm-hmm. and sometimes it becomes you know another part in there, or you just play it differently. Sure. Same with the solos, you know. Mm-hmm. What happened to that? Do you think? Why did that just kind of drop off? Radio. Yeah? Yeah, radio killed it. You, know, you get can't it. play 12 minutes long. I've seen radio. it happen in the 80s. You know, it used to be local stations used to promote their local act. Then you got these consultants come in. And the guy in L.A. is telling Detroit what to play. You know, so out the window went all the support for local stuff, you mm-hmm. know. And then it just got corporate, you know, corporate, you know, corporate radio, corporate yeah songs you know the for two verses a chorus you know the big chorus and that's why they used to the call corporate, corporate like in 70s yeah. uh i don't know when boston came out they used to foreign they, they used to call it corporate music you know <laughs> back in the day you know yeah even like when i was at rod stewart you know we we used to improvise all the time you know there was a lot of a lot of songs that we like losing you was all improvising the whole song it's a mark of a good musician uh, yeah yeah. And now we're talking a lot about the really frenetic drumming of the 70s. Now, Vinny, your work with Black Sabbath is a little bit more rigid, slower. You're my favorite kind of slower drummer. It feels like you're just pushing a boulder up a hill. <laughs> and I think you're like the hardest hitting drummer alive right now. Like we were talking about the kits not holding up before. I was, when I saw Evan and Hell, I was still afraid you're that still your kit was going to break everything. Down. Yeah, you're you had still these huge standing down. racks. And you'd have to pull them back towards you I so they don't fall Vinny, down. There's monitors today, Vinny. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, you know what? Back in 1976 when I played with Rick Derringer, I said to myself, I'm going to play really hard and powerful, but with 
dynamics, not just the, mm-hmm. this one yeah. level of volume. <clears throat> and I developed uh, like an athlete. You just develop the power, and then it's now it's easy to sound loud. I don't put my arms up. It's all in the wrist, and I mm-hmm. can just get on a set and pound them without using a lot of energy, and it's fucking loud. Can I say that? Yeah. You okay. can say that. <laughs> <laughs> so I developed that after all these years. And then when I played with Sabbath, they played Tony Iommi's very steady mm. on a lot of... It's just right in the pocket. you know. So I learned how to play with them a little bit behind the beat. you know, and Exactly. And leave the room for the air, and the fills have the air... Uh, in them, there's n- with Sabbath, the motto was "There's no rush to get to the end." <laughs> you know, they just yeah. Went. You look at sign of the Southern Cross. Yeah, just just let the let the chords ring out and let the the, the whole song ring out. And so I learned how to play behind a little bit with them. Now, was there anybody that you looked up to drum wise to get that kind of sound, or was it just a byproduct of playing with? No, Tony my heroes were you know Carmine, Mitch Mitchell, Buddy Rich, uh, Bonham. Mm. And uh, Billy Cobham, yeah. mainly those guys. And I, I didn't really listen to Neil Peart. And I didn't listen to Sabbath either. Mm-hmm. I heard the album. I went, wow, this is scared. But I didn't like the drum sound. The drum sound didn't interest me. It was too yeah. dead. The sound or the playing? The sound. Okay. The playing was great. Bill, yeah, I would be very surprised if you if you weren't into Bill. Total different approach. The way yeah. Bill played, he called himself yeah. a percussionist, not a drummer. That's what he says, hmm. and that's the way he approached the songs. There's all these. He was a little wild, yeah. yeah. Parts that you would normally go, whoa, and, you know, playing through it, and it was great parts. But the drum sound was so dead and small. Mm. I was used to hearing Bonzo's drums. His drums were big. Me, Mitch Mitchell had ambient. Yeah. Room yeah. sound. Yeah. <clears throat> That's what I like. So when I heard the Sabbath stuff, I went, wow, this is weird. <laughs> this is such a dead drum sound. So the and sound then, And they both came out at the same time. Uh, Cactus and Sabbath came out at the same time. Yeah, that. Um, and, and the drum sound yeah. on that Cactus record is like ambient, raw, kick ass, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, for everybody who can see, we've got a cact- the first Cactus record here released in 1970, and then we've got Black Sabbath's Mob Rules sitting here in our, yeah. Uh, yeah. our little room. But so, that but that sound fit what they were doing at the time. Definitely. You know, you listen to Tony's guitars. There's only t- like two guitars on there, rhythm guitars and whatever solos he did. Mm-hmm. And it just sounds heavy and evil, you know. And there so wasn't a lot amazing. of production on it. Yeah. Never be another one like him ever, no. ever, ever. No, Tony's unbelievable. He's the riff yeah. master. I've never heard anybody play the beginning of Iron Man as no one. evil as incorrect as Tony doing those bends. It's in the fingers. I've played that song with a million people and some famous guitar players, and nobody, nobody sound the same. gets it. It's weird because like uh, Zach Wilde, he plays obviously the too. Sabbath stuff with Zach Sabbath, but then he also did Hendrix with Experience Hendrix. He can probably play anything he wants, yeah, but he still... Can. It doesn't sound like Iomi when he plays no. it with Ozzy or Zach no, Sabbath. I mean, guitar players got a sound. Like Jeff Beck's got a sound. You know? Yeah, and Zach's Tony's definitely got, got, got a sound. has got a sound in a way to play. You know, he's got a sound. I got a sound. You know, it's the way you pick, the way you you know use your hands on. See when, when Tony play. at sound checks with Sabbath, or Heaven and Hell, Tony would go check his gear all every day, pretty much, and you let him go up, and you'd hear chords. You know, yep. most guitar players go, like George Lynch, for two hours. Of <laughs> <laughs> right. 
That's what he does. You know, he loves the solo. Tony, he had these massive chords. And you just, sometimes I just hop up on the drums and jam with them because it's like this heavy riffs. You go, whoa, what's that? We would would, uh, record it. And then he'd do some soloing, but mainly just these badass chords. That tone was monstrous until the very, very last Sabbath shows. Yeah. Carmine, you were saying that back in the day, you and uh, with Cactus would tour with Black Sabbath, and you almost came to blows with them one night. Yeah, it's funny (laughs) enough, in Asbury Park, the opening act was Bruce Springsteen's band called Steel Mill. (laughs) Whoa, Was that the Asbury Park show? Like that legendary Black Sabbath bootleg Asbury Park? Was it 74 or 76? No, this is 70. Okay, oh, early, early. early. We were playing the Sunshine Inn together. It was like a 800-seat club in Asbury Park. So it was Steel Mill with Bruce playing, Cactus, and then Black Sabbath, you know. And, uh, yeah, somebody stole and beat up one of our little roadies. They stole a bag of marijuana. Sabbath uh, did? Yeah, and we, <laughs> you know, and we, we, uh, somebody else that uh, said, well, it's funny enough, they, the, the roadies from Sabbath have that bag of marijuana over there in their room, and we <laughs> went up to them and they said, you know, it was almost we went to hands, you know, it was Ozzy and Rusty Day, our singer, who's like, you know, Ozzy's from Birmingham and Rusty Day was from Detroit, so, you know, two, two bad, guys. you know, working class, you know, sure. blue collar cities. And then uh, almost had to, you know, Russia used to carry knives and guns. He got machine gunned to death in a drug deal in Florida. And he was a badass, you know. And uh, it's funny, when I play with Ozzy, we talked about it. <laughs> 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 remember that day? Uh, Did he remember? Yeah, I remember. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember, yeah. But uh, it made the Circus Magazine, big story in Circus Magazine. Wow. Gotta look that up and find that article. I yeah. would love to find that article. Yeah, I just li- released my autobiography last year and uh, called Stick It, My Life is Sex, Drums, and Rock and Roll. And all these stories are in there, you know, like talking about jamming. On the spot jamming when Vanilla Fudge uh, had Led Zeppelin open up for us, right? Then we got to know them Jesus. really well. <laughs> Six months later, we were doing equal bill shows, you know, because mm-hmm. they got so big so fast. And I had gotten Bonzo a kit like mine and... So they used to do how many more times? And then Robert and Jimmy used to do the violin and the vocal thing. Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying, it was like, like 10 minutes of that. So Bonzo and John Paul Jones would come off the stage. So I'm standing backstage and John Bonham says to me, hey, why don't you and Tim go up instead of me and John? <laughs> Whoa. He said, you know the songs? I said, yeah. I mean, you know, we played, you know, when you play with a band on tour every night, you pretty much know their yeah. songs. If you're watching them, so I said, "Yeah, we know the songs." She said, oh, "You got to do it." You know? I said, "Okay." So we went up and played. You know, and we're playing, and and Robert Plant turns around, sees me and Tim, and goes over the page and elbows him and goes, "Oi, look at that!" <laughs> and we're playing, and, and they don't even know it <laughs> until they turned around. Wow. It was a lot of fun, you know. We yeah. used to have fun in those days like that, you know. And it seems like you're having a lot of fun now. And as we see a lot of, um, like, Rock's Elder Statesman um, putting together albums, a lot of it's collaborations like what you've done with Sinister. So yeah. after playing with all these guys over all these years, uh, what's 
the reason would you just want to get together with some friends and jam as as opposed to putting together really just a strictly four or five person band something like that well we we did a bunch of clinics back in geez a long time ago and it was really successful and then we did things here and there but we were talking about we never did an album together we did that we did the dvd remember yeah, but the, first I mean, we did the DVD, yeah. the battle for the name, a piece or apathy. Yeah, we did things <laughs> like that, but we never did a real album together. We write material yeah. and bring yeah. in material, so we thought, you know, why don't we figure that out? And uh, the schedules were open. A lot of times we're both busy because mm-hmm. we both had really pretty busy careers. Yeah. Played with just about everybody between the two of you. Yeah, and yeah. he's always gone. I'm gone. I'm home. He's gone. You know that kind of thing. And then we decided uh, late last year. <coughs> Let's let's see if we can put this together, you know. So we started putting it together in January, mm-hmm. and uh, we started with a pledge music fund. Yeah, we have a manager yeah. in L- in California that you know, he he initially but, said to us, you know, we in order to book better gigs and easier, we need to get a record, you know. So we, we did it, that. We said, yeah. so, he's, so he put the whole pledge music thing together, and it did really well. We made the goal and stuff, and it was like, oh, cool, we can do the record. Then we got a deal on SPV Records. Played him one song uh, called Monsters and Monsters Heroes. And Heroes. It's, it's about Ronnie James about Ronnie. Yeah, And um, that's going to be the first thing that's released. And then we got a deal on top of that, so we were able to really have some more of a budget to put this together in, in yeah. the correct way. So then we just called our friends and said, yeah, and then, what we're doing. Then being drummers, you have to say, okay, we need some guitar players to start feeding riffs and putting songs mm-hmm. together. And, you know, other than a couple of songs that I had written on my iPad, everything else was pretty, and, and Monsters and Heroes, that was written by the King Cobra guys. Is, uh, we, we actually did that song for Wendy when Ronnie passed away mm-hmm. as as a fundraiser, you know. But then it wasn't on any iTunes, it wasn't released anymore. I said to Vinny, this is a great song for us to do because it's about Ronnie. Paul Shortino was managed by Ronnie. You played with Ronnie. Ronnie was my friend. It just makes too much so sense. So it's like a natural. So so we then put it together, put Vinny on. I had to play. He had the track recorded already. So I had to listen to the track and play the, because we're playing together on that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I had to match it perfectly. Yeah. You know? And it, and it's easy to do because we play kind of the same, but except for some different fills, the way we approach it. What the hell yeah. is he doing there? <laughs> yeah. And why? Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. And then I'd have to listen to it and. And I and it's down to the yeah. button, man. It's just so tight. Yeah, and then it's opposite. And, and the way we recorded drums and mixed them actually is a little different. We mixed them like the old jazz guys, where I'm on the right and Vinny's on the left. Mm-hmm. You heard the record, right? Yeah, yeah. So like when we're doing things, you know, we do some like he, I would copy his fills or he would copy my fills, and then we would go off and do opposite things. So you hear things going back and forth. You know, which is a real ear candy, especially when people are listening in their with the headphones, earbuds, yeah. and everything. You know, and you know, most likely drums are mixed in the middle. You know, mm-hmm. so Always, on the yeah. yeah, it's right in the middle with the bass, and then guitars left and right, and this and that. So when, by doing this, it was like a real experiment to see if we can get the drums sounding big. So like in the song called like Killing Floor where we're doing this really heavy, lazy groove like you like, you know, when both of us are playing it together, 
that backbeat is just ridiculous. Yes, mm-hmm. You know, and then we'll go off and do fills and he'll answer my snare and I'll answer his snare and it breaks up and then it comes back to the backbeat and then it gets huge again. So it has dynamics as, as well. It's really interesting. You know? Yeah, that was the, one of the most interesting things for me listening because you kind of forget that there's two drum tracks yeah. on there because you just never hear that too much. Exactly. So you're listening and then, yeah, and then all of a sudden, like, wait, it, it breaks off. Different. What was that? You know? Yeah. So it's cool because it'll kind of, it, it always catches the ear. So yeah. at any point throughout the album, it just, there's always something unexpected as you're going Especially through. Especially like it. Sinister, the first song. Mm hmm. You know, because we're playing, you know, like, like in the first verse, uh, I think you're playing, uh, I'm playing the 6-8 afro thing, we call it, and Vinny's just going ba-boom. So you got ba-boom over there, and I go bum 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 ba-boom, bum bum ba-boom, you know? And then second verse, I do the ba-booms, and he plays the afro thing. So we switch it around. And then when we do the breaks, you know, Vinny starts on the left, and I answer on the right, and left and right, and then it goes back into the song. It's really interesting. Funny right? on the album it says, <laughs> Vinny's on the left, Carmine's on the right. Yeah. And some other songs, it, it, it describes what's going on a little bit. So people know we, who's... Vinny we, played first. Yeah. We did Carmine one song, played. we did one experiment where we both played in the middle, which is uh, um, suddenly, right? We both played in the middle. So Vinny starts the song, then I play the first verse, and then, then I play the chorus, and Vinny does the second verse, it's like that, but you could actually hear a little bit different drum sound, because my drums are analog and his drums are digital. <clears throat> Interesting. Yeah. You know, that's the other thing we did. You How'd know, that t- decision come about? He loves digital. Uh, no. I mean, he loves. I, love, <laughs> I love analog. He loves digital. So, you know, every time I I record now, I record on Pro Tools, then we bounce it to analog mm-hmm. to get take, that yeah different okay. bite. Bring it back in. You know, and then we take it back to digital. But Vinny records in digital and likes the digital, yeah. you know. So, and you can really hear the, like the difference when, like my song, uh, "You Got Me Running," that I sang and I, mm-hmm. I, I wrote. My drums are in the middle digital, unlike a song like "Danger," as Vinny drums in the middle and they're digital. So you can hear them. You can hear the difference in the drum sound, which is cool because when we're doing stuff together, it's distinct. That's Vinny. His karma, when you're listening you know? back, you can know who's who. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You, if you listen to the album, you'll get to hear and how the different sound, you'll know who's playing. Mm-hmm. And the approaches, you know, different fills and stuff. Right. Yeah. Now, Carmine, my, my fills are a lot better, so you know. Vinny's Vinny's solos are faster, but mine are more flashy. <laughs> uh, uh, Carmine, I read that you actually sang on one of these songs. I did. I sang that song. You got me you running. Got me running. Yeah. And I was gonna sing brothers and and uh, drums, drums because I you know I pretty much came up with the melody and the lyrics, but unfortunately the days you know we had a limited amount of days to do stuff. You know that, that day my allergies were bothering me. I just couldn't get the grit in my voice I wanted. <sighs> so, uh, my this guy in the studio I work with, John Caritti, he's a great guitar player and he's a really good singer. So. He was engineering, like co-producing the vocal with me kind of thing. And I said, John, look, I can't get it. Why don't you try it, you know? So he tried it, and he sounded good. I said, you know what? That's good. You do it, you know? I mean, it doesn't really matter. I mean, live, if we the album gets successful enough where we do that song, I'll probably do it live, and then I can we can stop the song in the middle and go, hey, wait a minute, Vinny, don't you remember when you did 
<laughs> yeah, we can make. <coughs> we 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 have a bit of comedy in the show, you know, mm-hmm. that way in the intros and and it, it makes it a lot of fun. And the good thing, like live, and, and the album was really like we did live. We did a lot of songs together live, but then like Vinny will do We Rock and Holy Diver by himself. I'll do like a heavy version of Do You Think I'm Sexy and Bark at the Moon by myself. Like now we're going to play Riot, the Blue Murder song on the album together. Love Blue Murder. We're going to do that. I know. We've been trying to get John Sykes out to to tour for 12 years. Can't get him out of the house. (laughs) Matter of fact, when Mike uh, Mike Portnay was playing with him for a second, Mm -hmm. uh, Mike said, came up to, we did a drum event together. He said, how do you get Sykes out of the house? I said, you don't. I don't know, dude. I've been trying for 12 <laughs> years. I gave up. Broadcast it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, everybody wants to see Blue Murder, but, uh, you know. So, but anyway, so we're going to do Riot Live, and we're both going to play it together. That'd be really fun, you know. Awesome. So we do that, you know, play together, play separately. So we figured we'd take the same approach on the record. So half the record is uh, playing together, and then half the record is, uh, you know, us playing separately. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to talk about Ronnie James Dio a little bit. We were talking about back in the day there weren't even monitors on stage. And now here we are in 2017 and the Ronnie James Dio hologram is about to embark on a European tour uh, before the year is over. Now, it Vinny, sounds like science fiction. It really does. Yeah, um, it feels perfect for Ronnie, though, because this was totally his realm of the fantasy and everything. Yeah. And obviously, Vinny, you played with him for a long time, still paying tribute to him with Last in Line. Um, yeah. Also very sorry about Jimmy Bain. Uh, that was tough for everyone. Yeah. Um, so what is your opinion on the Ronnie James Dio hologram? It's, it has to be a very eerie thing. You know, I would have to see it to really get a feel and vibe mm-hmm. of what it, what's going on with that. The only thing I saw was the first time they did it. They did Advocan. it. Yeah, and it was on somebody's phone, and it was really hard to see. Yeah. The only thing I did notice is, uh, see, the person that did the moves for it was a chick, mm-hmm. Gabby Ray, that Wendy manages. This young chick, she's like 17, and uh, she sings very well. So she did the moves and stuff. So the only thing I noticed, I said, well, Ronnie never had a nice ass like that. (laughs) (laughs) I said, you know, I've seen his ass every night. (laughs) And it didn't look like that. Uh, You've seen a lot of them sitting back behind the drums. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I've seen everybody's ass. (laughs) And uh, come on, move that. And then uh, I noticed. You don't see my ass, but. I don't see see his ass. you do, actually. Sometimes when he gets up. But the legs were a little thicker, too, a little heavier on the legs. And she's thin, but Ronnie was so thin. So I thought, wow, that's weird. And then I found out that she did the uh, yeah. the moves for it. Mm-hmm. I went, oh, okay. But it looked, you know, pretty real from it's, what it's I gonna saw. It's going to open up. I mean, if it's if it works, you'll be seeing the Michael Jackson tour. You'll be seeing Elvis Presley. Mm-hmm. You'll be seeing everybody, you know. Well, we had, um, I'd like to see it to see what yeah. it does. And, uh, and, you know, I mean, the other thing is it keeps the music alive. It's getting a lot yeah. of press because yeah. people, mm-hmm. it's never been really done on a tour. Yeah, so. because uh, the only time somebody like Ronnie that is going to get um, a lot of press is maybe through like reissues of the catalog, like they yeah. just did that Dio box set. But as we lose a lot of these guys, that's where you start to wonder. It's like the name just fizzles out of kind of the mainstream yeah, yeah. unless, like I said, these reissues. So. I like it because, as you said, it's a way to keep the legacy alive. There's yeah. people who were born 15 years ago who 
never, never who probably are just getting into Ronnie. Yeah, they're seen. just getting to Ronnie now, and now they get to experience that yeah. show or at least get a taste for what it might the have only, been like. The only thing it's not going to have is that spontaneity that we talked about. Mm-hmm. I heard that the hologram actually, uh, before the show, in the dressing room, the hologram has a drink like Ronnie used to do. <laughs> <laughs> Hang out. That's funny. Chat but, with the you fans. Know, it, in a way, it's good... It's good timing for everything because our song Monsters and Heroes, which is about Ronnie, yeah. we're, we're doing the video on that, right? And uh, uh, Wendy gave us permission to use Ronnie's pictures and his name and stuff mm-hmm. in it. So we're, it's coming out about the same time as that tour. So it's like she said uh, in an email to me, she said it's great timing because we're doing that tour. Yeah, anything to as keep well. the name So out it's like there. a real... <laughs> Tribute to Ronnie coming out in the fall, you know, mm-hmm. which is awesome. And then we're going out again. We're gonna, actually we're going to be on the East Coast in November with Last in Line, four more shows, and then uh, so you know we play the old stuff too. People mm-hmm. love it. It's crazy. It's thirty something not. years old, and they go crazy. Isn't it strange that no matter how much new music comes out today, everybody just still goes back to the classics? Yeah. What, what what do you think it is about that? The music today sucks. <laughs> <laughs> There's so Very much direct. soul in the old. Yeah, I mean, it's there's just, a lot of soul and heart in the old stuff. Yeah, you know, like it's the all Dio clinical stuff. now. You know, it's just, I would agree that today's rock and roll tends to suck. There is the, no rock and roll. I mean, you know, those songs like Unholy Diver, which when we made that album, we were just having fun. We were smoking lots of weed and shit, and going to studios all and just do crazy stuff and record mm-hmm. it. No click, and we played the whole song together. Yeah. So it was a lot of soul in it. We really put our heart in it. Yeah. And uh, it didn't matter. The song sped up a little bit. And nobody gave a shit. You know? I'm a big fan of not using clicks. Yes. 100%. Yeah. yeah. And that's that comes across, you know. You get that raw energy. I, and it's the way, and the, and the way bands today are presented. I mean, in, back in the day, in the D.O. day, in the Cactus, and, you know, you got airplay, you toured, everybody mm-hmm. toured, you got airplay. Today, I don't know who these bands are. They, they all of a sudden, they're playing arenas. I go, who are they? How did they get there? I don't ever heard of them, you know. And there's not just one. There's so many that you know. There's no radio anymore to listen to. That you know, you can like people say to me, how do you how do you find new bands? I said, I really don't anymore. Just go back. I used to, the to old drive ones. in my car and put the radio on and hear new mm-hmm. music. Yeah, it's funny. I was talking to Rudolf Schenker um, about a month ago. And he was saying that over in Europe, they don't have the concept of classic rock like no. they do in America. It's like Scorpions release a new album, the new single goes to radio. It's not just like how here in America, hey, if it's after 1980, 1989, like, forget it. Yeah. All you have is the internet. And I don't know how these people work the internet to to get big. I, I met, we met a band, uh, a drummer. We did one of those Bonzo bashes on the, East, on the West Coast. I met this drummer in there. Their album broke into charts at number, I don't know, 10. They sold 30,000 records. If, yeah. You know? I said, well, we used now to give away 30,000 records. <laughs> yeah, you know? And to now, my family. So, yeah. I mean, my solo album did 110,000 records, and mm-hmm. it just barely made the charts, you know? <laughs> it was like 110, you know? And now it's number like 10. And these guys, I said, uh, oh, yeah, we're playing. We do like 3,000 people. I said, how long have you been together? Because, oh, we've been on the road for 10 years. It takes about 10 years ten for a years. lot of bands to break now. Yes. Unbelievable. I mean, you know, by the time you break, you're a freaking old man. Mm-hmm. You know, if you start at 30 years old, you know, you look young, you're in a band. 
10 years, you're 40 years old. You know, yeah. I made it when I was 20. He made it when he was what? That's why 18? I changed my age to Celsius. <laughs> oh, that's so like, nobody <laughs> thinks of doing that. 13 Celsius sounds way better. Going to metric. Yeah. <laughs> I think one thing that's lost on a lot of bands today, too, is the fight. Before everyone was able to get a regular job playing club shows Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah, yeah. And that's where you really gelled on stage and had that chemistry. Yeah. And now it's their practice and maybe what, four or five hours a week, one day a week, trying yeah. to write the stuff, sending files back and forth. You just don't have... Yeah, that experience on stage exactly. time. Exactly. That's why there's a lot of these uh, new pop acts, per, per se, that they get signed and they do a record and it becomes big. They've never been on stage. And then they don't sing when they get on that stage. Yeah, they don't <laughs> sing without auto-tune. Yeah. No. Oh, auto-tune's the worst. Yeah. Yeah. Rock. Rock. Is rock dead? What do you think, Graham? Uh, no, but it's, it's on its death knell, probably. But luckily, I think metal, even like the underground metal stuff is still excellent. It's just much harder to find yeah. these days. Like you talk about Europe before, we just came back from Europe with Last Online. We played about eight fucking giant festivals and mm -hmm. metal and it's all happening over there. They have yeah. so many more shows and metal and and festivals and stuff than the states you know oh, they have the absolutely. magazines as carmine said and they're just real supportive of this music and uh it's quite a difference over there last year i went over to we played the sweden rock festival i played with vanilla fudge and king cobra mm -hmm. thursday was vanilla and saturday was king cobra but uh king cobra did like three shows before that and they were packed and the people were going nuts you know and they love they love that stuff so much I mean, 80s now is the classic rock. Yeah. If it's, it's, you listen to the classic rock radio, mm -hmm. uh, you're getting all 80s. In three years, the 80s started 40 years ago. Just think yep. about that. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. It's crazy. I was born in 89, and I'm saying that. Nobody oh. thought this was going to last. Like, make yeah. that album, and you go, okay, you know, it's not going to last 40 years. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's still regarded as 30 something among years. the absolute best. Yeah. Now, um, last question for each of you here. You've collaborated with so many people over the years. Who is one person you have yet to collaborate with uh, that you would still like the opportunity? Hmm. I would say I would love to play with Eddie Van Halen because he's such a monster guitar player. It's a pretty player, good pick. You know? I actually asked him at one point. We were starting a band, uh, me and Jimmy Bain. Mm -hmm. putting something together and i called hey he said might as well start at the top for a yeah. guitar player and he said you know well i'm tied to my brother you know at yeah. the hip uh, you know and i said okay okay this could be a cool thing you know and uh so uh it would be cool to play with him or, or someone like him or jimmy page would be you know it's kind of like heroes you know mm -hmm. so what about you? I, I don't know. You know, for me, it, it's... You uh, checked everyone off. I, the list. I, I mine likes Britney Spears, so I know yeah, right. I right. might have want to play <laughs> with her. Well, if James you're talking Brown. about staring at asses, then, I mean, <laughs> you might as well put Britney Spears Then he could see her right? ass back yeah. uh, no, on the stage a, every yeah, night. Yeah, yeah, there you I think go. that's why he it's wanted much, to do it. That's much better so. than Ronnie, no, Ronnie Diaz. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I really have a person, you know? I mean, yeah, it would be nice to play with Eddie Van Halen, but I play with Jeff Beck. I play with... You yeah, I jammed with, I jammed with, not play, but like I jammed with Hendrix. I played with so many guitar players and so many singers. Like probably for me, you know, the, the old Rod Stewart and Jeff Beck would be a great. 
get that one going. That thing, that team, from those Jeff Beck albums, the first two Beck albums were awesome. Ronnie Wood on bass, you know. I would, that would be more like a fit for me. Sounds good. Yeah. Well, we want to thank you guys so much for coming on the podcast. A-P-P-I-C-E. <laughs> there we go. Sinister. Out October 27th on SPV Steam Hammer. Go pick it up. Lots of cool guests on there. Bumblefoot's on there. One of the yeah. sweetest guys Did you see the alive cover? on the planet. Yeah, with, yeah, the, with the your split face down the half, face. Isn't yeah. that cool? Mm -hmm. when, they, when they took the stitches out of my face, it killed me. Yeah. <laughs> I saw for You notice who the comedian of the, of the family is, right? <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> I think there's a little bit of both. No, going that on that there. that cover. You know, originally we were going to call the cover "Masterpiece." Oh, <laughs> right? They didn't get it. Is it and too in late? Europe, in they Europe, they didn't understand it. Oh, we had a, we had a pic, we had the picture from the inside sleeve of the picture of us pointing with the with the evil hands and, and the, the cracked oil cracked, painting. It was all mm. cracked painting, <laughs> and it was going to say. Masterpiece. Mass, M A S T. M A S T, and then a piece. Well, maybe that'll be the, the but, name of the But then we album. sent it to them. We didn't realize, well, they do speak a different language over yeah, there, and you know, um, many languages. They didn't get it. They didn't work. get it. They go, what does this oh, mean? Well, we don't understand so what this means. And I said, oh. Didn't do it. So then we said, let's get a new idea. So, US and I went on their website, and I saw, I saw some woman had a, a half woman and a half skeleton face. I said, mm -hmm. oh, that's interesting. Maybe we should do half me and half Vinny. So my uh, art designer put it together, and I'll never forget. I said, and we put it together. I said, that's cool. I said, got to put stitches down the middle of the face, make it like Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. We'll call the album Sinister, you know. It, it makes it a real sinister it look. together way better than the other. Yeah, so then he it. said, how about if I make them red so they're like bloody looking? Yeah. I said, perfect. <laughs> and then in the vinyl, it's going to be black and red, the vinyl. Uh, you should do a picture disc with the faces. Yeah. That's a good There you idea. go. Yeah. No, it's too late now. They already uh, printed up repress. the vinyls. Yeah, maybe if it goes big, they'll do it again. You know, the second printing. There we go. I didn't so even think about that. Too. <laughs> and get the asses. Yeah, we Black have. Yeah. We sell our gigs. We sell drum heads. With the, we, you know, we just got them yesterday with the with the, with the faces. Cover. Oh, that's awesome. It's awesome, man. They were like twelve-inch drum heads. You know, people frame them, hang them on the wall. And, and then we hooked up with Martha Stewart, and we got plate dinner plates, <laughs> cups, and stuff. So as you finish your food, you start to see this disgusting stitches. And yeah, you say, "What is? Who is that face? Is that ketchup, or is that? Oh, that's on the plate there. Got to go to the Tupperware parties to get yeah. those. We, at Halloween, we should have made up some masks for Halloween. I'm telling you, it's oh, not you too late. You can get a rush on, on everything. Well, we'll do it next, next Halloween. Next team, the album will be out and hopefully become a classic by next year. <laughs> right, and, well, and hopefully it won't take 10 years. Hopefully <laughs> not. Well, again, Vinny, Carmine, thank you so much Pleasure. for sitting thank down you. with thank us. You. Thank you. Great awesome. to have you on. Cool, Good man. to be here. Good. All right. There they go. Vinny and Carmine, a peasy apathy, a p p i c e, a piece, yeah, not a peasy. Whatever you want. Our other brother goes by a peche, and somewhere we're getting a peasy in there. It's a weird family. Parcheesy. <laughs> Play parcheesy. That was great. Again, I hope you all enjoyed those stories as much as I did. I, that was painful to have to wrap that up. Yeah, I mean, it would have been great to just have Carmine sit down, Vinny sit down, and just be like. Hey, you know, tell us a story about Dio. Tell us a story about Hendrix. Tell us a story about every single one of these incredible legends that you've worked with over the years. Hey, Jeez. 
Yeah, what a resume between those two guys, huh? Holy crap. Like, if you thought just being in Black Sabbath and Dio was enough, like, go back and really look at what Carmine has done because I feel like a lot of the metal... Yeah, I feel like a lot of the metal audience isn't as familiar with the work that he's done. He's, as they said, 11 years older than Vinny, so he got in the ground a little bit earlier. Um, And definitely check out the first Cactus record, Thing Rules. Yeah. I thought it was funny that Carmine did not have one person on his list that he has like yet to jam with or would want yeah, what to the play hell? with. Can you imagine just having a career like that where they're just like... Where you're 70 and you're going, nah, I did it all. No. <laughs> Everyone. <laughs> Anyone you still really want to play with? Nah. Nah. Been did there. Already. Did that. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, we got to thank them both for coming in again. That was awesome talking to them. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of the Loudwire podcast. Make sure you go to loudwire.com for all your daily rock and metal news. Hit us up on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. Uh, Subscribe to the Loudwire podcast on iTunes. Give us five stars and a comment if you'd be so kind. A nice comment. Yes. Subscribe to us on YouTube. You can follow me, Graham, at GrahamWire on Twitter. You can follow me, Joe, on Instagram, not Twitter, at IceNerveShatter. All right. Thank you all so much. We'll see you again soon. And don't forget, Graham, what shouldn't they forget to do? We're about to play some doofy.